What is up, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Four Mandalore podcast? I'm so glad to be back here with my boy T Bob A Bear. We are talking all things The Mandalorian Chapter Four. It is time. We're getting kind of a different twist in this episode. Things are different than we're used to seeing. Uh, a lot of more wholesomeness than uh, than this series yeah. has projected so far. T Bob, what was your your take coming out of this episode? Um, first off, a little setup for. Anybody, I just need to preface our show with this. If I sound a little funky, uh, <laughs> as I like have like phlegm, like if I throw it, um, it is eight thirty a.m. on a Saturday. Um, it is Thanksgiving week, so we could not record in our normal Friday slot. I was with family last night. Me and my brother-in-law have a tendency to start drinking and then continue drinking and just talking and drinking and talking. And so we slammed a fifth of whiskey last night. It's 8.30 in the morning. I think I'm still a little drunk. Um, so I, I just want everybody to understand where my head is at as we prepare to chop this up and use it as an excuse for anything I may screw up here. Uh, <laughs> but I, what I really liked about this episode... And I was going to say I love this episode, but it's almost redundant because I've loved every episode so far. Like, I I guess it's almost better for me to just tell you when I don't like an episode because obviously I just, I'm enjoying so much of this. Right. Um, But I really enjoyed this episode because it is different than almost the series has felt up to this point, though I guess it's a bit like a natural extension of the Suga Jawa side quest. Um, but it's also different than anything Star Wars has ever done. Have you ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation? I haven't seen it, yeah. So, and and, and I don't have a ton of Star Trek experience myself. I've watched a couple seasons of The Next Generation. Um, it's really good, but this, to me, felt more like Star Trek, uh, and I mean this in a good way, than anything that I've ever seen out of Star Wars. I mean, you here you have, you kind of find a random planet, a random people at a uh, kind of lower technological level, although they still have droids and they still have access to some technology. Um, and the Mandalorian just—it's like—it's a self-contained one-episode thing, right? You gotta show up. The people have a problem. You help them solve their local problem. You move on. Uh, I I really like that rhythm for this TV show. I think that that's how you kind of keep it fun and exciting. I think it works with a bounty hunter traveling all over the galaxy. And um, it's exactly kind of what you were talking about last week when we were wondering, okay, is because episode three was so full of bigger things, like like bigger Star Wars universe-spanning questions. Uh, and then we asked, I asked, like, you know, are you going to, do you think we'll get back with the clan right away? And you point out that no, you think that he was going to kind of go do his own thing, take a few episodes off. And uh, and this was the beginning of that. And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I agree completely. I think that this was kind of his time to break away from, from what we've been establishing, which is, you know, action, action, action. Yeah. That's not to say there wasn't plenty of action to be had in this episode, which there was. And I thought it was done in a very good way. But I think, you know, as we see them approaching this planet nico's all right you ready to just you know stretch your legs for a few months and kind of lay low um i think that kind of set the tone for what he's starting to do in this part of the series um i don't know if it's going to be as at least where his head's at yeah exactly he's he's trying exactly and i don't know if that's going to be where he ends up uh going 
with, with the next few episodes, but I thought this episode was a nice step back, not into inaction, but into a different kind of, of plot and a different kind of action. Yeah, and, and to me, I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like a little kid waking up on a Saturday morning. I watch a Friday, but you get the point. Like, I felt like a little kid waking up on a Saturday morning and watching Eyes Full as, you know, my... Uh, my character that I love just goes on like a fun adventure, right? Like it yeah. didn't it didn't need to be especially deep, although there were a ton of interesting questions around his helmet and relationships and kind of Mandalorian culture and what that helmet means. There's one scene where he takes off the helmet. Actually, let's just go. I'll just let's just dive right into that. Sure. Um. So the 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 girl on the plane asks him, you know. Do you ever take off your helmet? When's the last time you took it off? And he says, uh, like, last night or whatever. So he does, we get confirmation they don't, like, they're completely alone or showering or something. Like, they, they don't keep it on 24-7, right. which would not be very hygienic. So <laughs> that makes all. sense. A lot of uh, acne. Yes. But then she asks him, when's the last time he took it off in front of a person? And he says he was a little kid. I mean, imagine that, like, 20, 30 years of, of nobody seeing your face. But then right after that... He's looking out a window at a bunch of kids playing, and he and and it, you know I imagine line of sight they would easily be able to see him too. Like it seemed like they were trying right to drive there. that home. Yeah, he's right, there. he's right there, and he takes his helmet off and places it down on the table in front of him. What was your interpretation of that scene? I was shocked. I, I really didn't see that coming. Uh, considering you know the the weight that is associated with a Mandalorian helmet, when you see that happen. It, it, I don't know if that's trying to broadcast a message to the kids or what, but when you see a Mandalorian do something like that, when you know he's leaving himself open, because the door on the side's still open, I'm pretty sure. I don't think she closed it. And that window's open, and he's sitting, like, in the window. Yeah. So exposing himself to that uh, degree, I think, is something that we haven't seen really in any media so far from a Mandalorian. No, uh, well, yeah. We we have not, and then do you think that because I, he's all about this is the way and kind of the Mandalorian rule set? It, do do kids mean something different than adults? You gotta like, think they do because they there there was there was a lot of almost like kid stuff this episode, right? Yeah. Whether it's him very openly talking about his past. Where he was a little child, and we we got the you know I think we already had it, but we got like the final confirmation that his planet was attacked, parents killed, the Mandalorians took him in right. and raised him. Uh, whether it's the kinship that he's feeling with the kids in the village or Baby Yoda, he's seeming more and more to have a soft spot for kids, and so I I don't know like I guess are you disgraced if you show your face to an adult versus a child. I wonder if there's a cultural difference there. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure, T, but I think something that... There's a couple of really important points that branch out from what you just said. The first one, I think, would be the fact that you've got these kids and whenever the... Um, I'm sorry, let's start with when he 
is in uh, going to the flashbacks. Yeah. And he's talking about, oh, you know, the, the CIS invaded. And uh, he doesn't say the CIS, but there's super battle droids in the flashbacks. So it's it's the CIS. What are you calling the CIS? Uh, the, the separatists from the... What does CIS stand for? Um, I'm not sure. That's what they called it in Battlefront 2. Ah, okay. Republic versus CIS. Okay. But um, that's kind of their designation. Uh to see the dichotomy and storylines, I'm going to go back to KOTOR, uh, if you will. Um, Sasha, who stows away on your ship, uh, is, a, is a Mandalorian captured kid. Um, and the picture they paint of Mandalorians in that scenario is kind of as a, a raiderous group that will take your children and women and kill the men and, you know, you know enslave them and... And she is not one to be with the Mandalorians at all. The she, Muslims used to do they called them Janissaries. They would uh they would capture kids and raise them as these like super for the cause slave warriors. And that's exactly what they did with Sasha. Except Sasha was like, No, I'm not having it. I want to stow away on the ship. Um she was the daughter of I think some wealthy Dantooine uh farmers, um, or estate people, um, like the Matales or the Sandrals. Um, but when you go and and see her attitude towards Mandalorians, and then you get to look at uh, Pedro Pascal's depiction of the Mandalorian, you see two totally different narratives. And I think people that are walking into this series not knowing much about Mandalorians look at that and see, wait, are these Mandalorians like a noble people who only you know are gonna raise? They raised this kid up, and they they helped him, and they protected him, and. It's just it was interesting to me to see the dichotomy there. That was kind of my first major point. I do feel real quick on that. I do feel like it almost feels like the new canon is trying to make Mandalorians a bit more likable or like a bit yeah. bit more in the vein of a group that you feel good cheering for. We'll see. We'll that. see if that you know if that keeps. And maybe that's just because we're getting Pedro Pascal's, uh, just because we're getting his perspective. But yeah, I, I, I too was thinking there was a little disconnect from the Mandalore that I read about in those Kortor comic books that you gave me versus hearing about, you know, this kid. They basically saved his life yeah, and set that, him on the path. That's the two the two kind of really interesting uh, storylines that kind of differed there. Um, and I'd say the second major point that stemmed off of what you just said would be that the kids in the Mandalorian culture seem to be esteemed and valued and raised up. Whenever, yeah, the foundlings. Yeah, exactly. Whenever he gets all of his his bounty, whenever he gets all of his money and 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 uh, the best car, he wants to give a good amount of it back to the kids. Yeah, which I think, I think that paints a really important picture of their values, and I really enjoy seeing that aspect. I think that they have their their hearts in the right place in terms of continuing their legacy as a people, because they focus on the kids having the best foundation that they can. I mean, they even call them foundlings. They're the foundation. You know, I think yeah. that's, that's extremely powerful to show that their attitude is that we're going to persist. We're going to survive. You know, it's not just us. We have the future. Yeah, this is uh, this is the way. And that, that's, that's how you um, ensure that your culture will go on even when you're in a... Uh, they're in a bad situation right now. They're they're in a bad way. At least the the it seems like the entire uh, Mandalorian race or clan or group, whatever you want to call them, are. We learned that good. last episode. Um, other things that so I guess to to kind of bring it back to the helmet thing, we don't really know. We'll 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 figure out more 
I think what it means to him to take off that helmet. Did you think at the end, uh, when the girl is reaching for his helmet, did you think that she was going to take it off? No. It's way too early. See, I'm such a sucker, dude. I'm such an idiot. I still maybe thought she was going to. And it's like it's like obvious that she's not because, yes, it is entirely too early. And you don't build it up that much and then just have it like, oh, well, he just did it at the end of this episode. I was still like, whoa. (laughs) So, yeah, I am completely the idiot that they get with that little little fake out. Um, I think the only thing that that kept me from thinking that he was going to get uh, his helmet taken off was that there was like a reticule like fastened directly on his head and like the second that the helmet comes off dude just gets like iced and yeah. like that's all folks <laughs> <laughs> and that's the Mandalorian it's <laughs> a wrap <laughs> The ultimate twist in Night Shyamalan <laughs> you thought there were going to be 8 episodes psych uh, um, so another thing that stood out to me Baby Yoda just remains, uh, I mean, uh, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And it's there's like, so many shots of him in this episode yeah. that are so good. Oh, me and my girlfriend were watching it together, and every time he would come on screen, she would just be like, oh, my I know, God. I know, me too. My wife's making fun of me because, like, there are certain, I, I've always felt this way with Will Ferrell. When Will Ferrell is on screen, and I really felt this rewatching, or not rewatching, but watching the Between Two Ferns movie recently on Netflix. I forgot how much I miss Will Ferrell. But when Will Ferrell's on screen, like, you can't help but laugh. Right. Like, I just start to giggle before he even says anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just because what he's done in his career that I've loved so much. I don't know if it's, like, some, like, almost inert energy that he gives off. Maybe it's just his facial expression, how he stands. I don't know what it is, but it's, like, I just start to giggle when Baby Yoda is on screen. I just start to like laugh and and smile and be happy, and it's every time. And he doesn't even do. He does the same thing every time, and I just <laughs> I, I still just think it's like I'm like oh look at him, look <laughs> at him. It's the exact same. It is unreal how the magic that they created with this little Yoda puppet. I mean, like really, like this is new content, man. This isn't something that we've like. <sighs> been around for years like we've known it for a month and it's it's such it's so iconic some good um comedy where he's pressing the buttons in the beginning mandalorian keeps telling him not to and he kind of hits that slow like <laughs> making eye contact while he's still yeah. reaching out some great puppeteering some great physical comedy from baby yoda there uh well i, I love the story that i read this week so we talked a bit about Werner herzog Telling Favreau and them, like, because in, okay, so in case you missed last week's episode, there's a story where Werner Herzog's doing a scene with Baby Yoda, and they shoot the scene, and they go to lunch, and they come back, and they're working on the scene again, but Baby Yoda's puppet is nowhere to be found. And they wanted to shoot it both ways. If they wanted to do CG, they could. And Herzog calls them out. Uh, he's like, don't be cowards. Like, come on. The puppet's incredible. You got you to gotta trust in your instincts. Like, trust in yourself. Uh, so Deborah Chow did an interview where she kind of expanded on all of this. And she talked about where she had this moment where she was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, how have I gotten to this point in my life? Like, what's going on? Because like observing because Werner Herzog, yeah. So the puppet is, you know, is animated on the spot, like a great puppet is. And so Werner Herzog is sitting there directing and 
talking to the puppet like it's a fellow actor. <laughs> and then she said that she found herself directing and talking to the puppet like it's an actor. And she kind of had this step back, like, 4D view where she was just seeing herself <laughs> talking to this thing that is not alive as if it is. But that, again, just shows the magic of practical effects, choosing to go to the puppet route, how it makes everybody's performances just feel more real. It really does. And look, puppeteers are incredibly skilled. Like, if you've ever watched like videos of like Sesame Street where like, Kids are having full-on conversation with the puppets as if they are alive. And so uh, it's just everything in this baby, everything about Baby Yoda in this episode just reinforced all those feelings and then some. And it's it was kind of a big test for them because this is the most Baby Yoda screen time that we get. And he is now out of the flying crib. So a lot of him walking around, a lot of him doing stuff, a lot of playing with children. And it still works excellently it really does. throughout. It looks totally natural when he's around all the kids. Yeah. A little robe. And those big ears. And My the robe God. is so like disproportionately big on him. It's, it's, I know. It's so good. I know. And then his little three fingered hands. Oh my God. I just want to every time the Mandalorian picks him up, it reminds me of my daughter was a little smaller, but even cuter and I just want to like oh my god I just start grinding my teeth because I just want to hug it and kiss it and love it forever and um yeah and 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 we see we we also so I guess to get things that maybe matter a bit more than just the cuteness of Yoda uh the Mandalorian has gone beyond just having a soft spot for this little baby he Straight up loves it. Full on dad mode. Full on dad mode. Like like completely dad. And I think he, he probably, I mean, if I were to guess, he probably feels some kinship with Baby Yoda, right? I mean, Definitely. he was a guy who was left on his own and rescued by the Mandalorians, and here is Baby Yoda left on his own and rescued by the Mandalorians. I mean, you, you see him uh, kind of, his dialogue, the way that he talks to Baby Yoda I think you can tell just by the the words he's saying and the inflection of his voice, which Pedro Pascal does a fantastic job of, by the way, of, yeah. of, of really bringing across this affection, this love, without really doing it through many outward actions. You know, he you know he does plop him down on the seat in the bar, which I thought was so cute. But like, and he, then and then, and then yeah, just, and the door opens and Yoda's still just standing by him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, all that the Gina yeah. Carano opening fight. And then Yoda's just sitting there drinking the bone broth, <laughs> looking at them. Oh my god, dude. it's so cute! And like I, we yeah. both have like shit-eating grins on our faces right. just because of the thought of that cute little puppet. And you know, it just it just does that to you. And and I think you know, like I said, Pedro Pascal, a plus job, really conveying uh, the Mandalorian's character's love for for this for this uh, this little tiny baby. Yeah, and at the end, when he's, you know, you can see that he is trying to set up the baby with a better life. And it is interesting. He, he, you know, he is thankful for what Mandalore did for him, but it doesn't seem like, like like a lot of parents, right? Um, They'll be thankful for the things that they did to put them in this position or whatever to help provide for their family but they may not want their kids to have to go through those same struggles. And he doesn't want to necessarily raise Yoda as a Mandalorian, right? Like, No, yeah, he's, he, he's he not want, getting off that vibe at all. No, he wants him to have like a peaceful, nice upbringing. He was very, well, not tempted. He was going to leave Yoda 
at the village, run around with the kids, have fun. Uh, but obviously, Baby Yoda is like maybe the most one of the most wanted individuals in the galaxy right now, and we learned that that's just not going to be possible if he wants to keep Yoda alive. No, I mean, you, you can still see that uh, through, you know, the guy still has a fob, he's still being tracked. Yeah. Really makes you wonder when can How all this stop. How does fob tracking work? Yeah, I really want to know that because I don't think we can really solve the idea of how do you become peaceful until we figure out how the fob tracking works, but... I, I wonder think, if they'll get the doctor involved. You know to, that that uh, could actually remove it or something. Yeah, he. I, I definitely see him coming back. I, I think he played way too important of a role early on. And he looks too good. He's a, he's a solid like character design. With yeah, his round glasses and. I think the, the biggest point that I took away from this, and I'll I'll be honest with you, I was kind of seeing our Yoda-led Mandalorian tribe dreams evaporate before my eyes when they were talking about him staying there. Yeah. Uh, so kind of glad they're still tracking him. But I think yeah. the the biggest thing I'm worried about is uh, what I said before. How are we going to get to a point to where we can stop being tracked? Are we ever going to get to that point? Yeah. I don't know. And I, I would wager at this point that we wouldn't, considering well, and- that we were halfway through the ish halfway through the series oh yeah no no in season one it's gonna be up until the end most wanted man in the galaxy type stuff i feel like i mean because even the mandalorian at this point he's got to be being tracked now i don't know how you get these fobs on him and maybe he can't be tracked by a fob but like he's super wanted he killed all these guild member bounty hunters. Yeah, so he's he gonna know yet? Oh yeah, they, is, they definitely know because he had that big shootout. Yeah, so, yeah, he's he's yes. like he is the guild on his ass. Persona non grata on yes. the guild at this point. Uh, he, and he's got uh, you know imperial force. He's got everybody hunting for Baby Yoda. So yeah, he's they're going to be on the run. I think this entire um, this entire <laughs> season. Not too enviable of a position at this no. point. No, but it does give us a great excuse to watch him kick a lot more ass. Absolutely. Um, I It is a crime that we have made it 22 minutes into this podcast, and we have not mentioned Gina Carano, who, who is, plays I think Cara really is Dune. the star of this entire I, episode. Exactly, and that's the point. I mean, I should have mentioned her off the top, because she is absolutely the star. What a badass. It's crazy, dude. Like her acting in this episode is 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 just absolutely phenomenal. You know, off the bat, everything she's gonna tell you is true, be- just because of her actions. You know, you see, she takes on Mando right off the bat. You know, no questions beats asked. Beats his ass. No, I mean, no, she like at like one of the better like hand to hand fight scenes that I've seen in a very long time. I I love her character, and because of her real life skill set as an MMA fighter. It is some of the most believable and realistic fighting that I've ever seen. And not just for a female, though even in that regard, she really shines. Because a lot of times you have people who maybe don't trade full time to do these things. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, most women in Hollywood are very, very petite and tiny. And she's like jacked and looks like she could like choke you out uh but she's still beautiful but then because of her fighting skill set like i believe every punch she's throwing every kick her grappling moves like i don't even know what stuntman is playing the mandalorian but she looked like a much better fighter than whoever that stuntman is just in terms of like actually selling your actions and making it look like you know what you're doing she looks like a badass shock trooper who has been 
fighting and killing for, you know, a dozen years or however long she's I mean, been at she it. whooped him, T. I mean, she whooped him. Yeah, like, she whooped his ass. Like, like when you see the the way that she does that, anything that she says from that point on in terms of what she's done, how badass she is, it's validated. Like, I, I don't care what you do. That I think that shows the power of her as a character, how strong she is, how how much you admire that strength. It really makes everything believable that she says. You know, I, I don't go into it thinking, oh, okay, so you're this actor and you're saying, oh, I did X, Y, and Z because I have this, you know, macho attitude, macho tone of voice. No, like, you went out there and you showed it before you said anything. And and that's probably a good point is that she does have that innate confidence when it comes to combat. Shines through. And I don't know, yeah, I don't know if you can, I mean, whatever, a great actor probably always can, but there is something about, I think, her real-life skill set that bleeds over and... She just carries herself a bit differently, but it doesn't feel forced. You see a lot of actors and actresses try to act like badasses, and they just can't always pull it off. No. And I never questioned for a second that this girl was just a super badass. I hope that we see a lot more of her. Do you think we will? I mean, surely this is not the only Cara Dune that we're going to get. I think she does the classic Lando swoop in on the Falcon and saves the day for something. I was probably. really hoping for the ultimate odd family and Mando dad, and her name's Cara Dune. So Mando dad, Cara Dune mom, baby Yoda. They're raising this child while fighting people across the galaxy. I was really upset when she chose uh, not to come with them. And if he did, like, have her as, like, his partner, that would be, like, the ultimate way to meet. You know, your first interaction yes. with your partner is that you yes. just absolutely beat the shit out of each other. Like, exactly. I think that's such a good... So, I mean, it would just be so appropriate, but... Um, I do love how the Mandalorian, like, uh, like his spider sense went off when he saw her. Did they oh, yeah. know each other before... I feel like I got that vibe. I don't know if they did for sure, but either way, when he saw her in the bar, he was immediately like, what? When did she get here? Like, yeah. What's her deal? And then, of course, she like disappears immediately, Batman style, where you look away and you look back and she's gone. Uh, yeah, an excellent meet cute mm -hmm. for those two. And I really, man, I just, I really hope that she's back because she is uh, just fantastic. I, I agree. I think she kind of goes the way of the tribe in this one, in which we probably don't see her for a good bit. But yeah. when she does come back, I think she plays an integral role. I think her and the tribe are going to be the two, you know, the tribe is not a person, but the two things to watch in terms of what comes back when. You know, if we want to see the pacing of this, if we want to see where they're trying to go eventually. I want to see where so both of those people end up. I'm wondering, and this is too early to call it a pattern, but next week, we'll maybe inform this a bit. <clears throat> as my nose is just getting more and more stuffed up as we do this. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but episode one was dealt with massive ramifications for the Star Wars universe. The Baby Yoda reveal. All sort of new canon about the Mandalorians, who they are. Um, episode two had that Star Trek type of feel. You know, uh, the Jawas come take your stuff. Okay, now you have a side quest. You got to go fight the Mudhorn, get the egg for the bros so they can party it up, suga suga. Uh, and it had that Star Trek fun. Like, didn't have a ton of implications on a larger scale. 
And then episode three went back to kind of that episode one thing where it's like, wow, like this is the we're back to the main storyline. Um, what it means to the Star Wars universe as a whole is huge. And now in episode four, we've gone back to the Star Trek, like serialized, just a fun romp on a on a on a foreign planet. So if we go back to the main storyline in episode five, then maybe that's kind of the rhythm that they're trying to hit here. They give you one that really pushes things forward and they give you one that's just a fun space adventure. Maybe, and and, and you know what, maybe they don't do it that black and white, but episode five will tell us a lot. I think it will. I think if we can establish if they're going to go with that pattern in episode five, I think you'd kind of see it carry throughout the rest of the season. I would think so too, with Um, eight episodes. Do you know off the top of your head whether it's seven or eight episodes this season? I want to say it's eight. Okay, so if we're going to... by the way, I did just read, um, because I was pulling up a Gina Carano article looking for a character. Um, I guess this is spoilers. I don't know, but if you're listening to this, you know, whatever, we're going very deep. But it does say that she is filming uh, season two. Oh, great. Right now. Great. So uh, she's definitely going to be a part of this universe going forward. I'm very happy to hear that. Me too. I mean, I think she's just too undeniably badass of a character badass, to, to leave out of the Star Wars. She's beautiful. Movie. She's magnetic. I just, yeah, I kind of, I kind of came out of this with a huge crush on Gina Carano. <laughs> I, I don't think, blame you. I think it's like, like I have a crush on Baby Yoda, and I have a huge crush on Gina Carano. I mean, she just, she just fits in the Star Wars universe so well. I mean, if, you, if when you look at the way she carries herself, and I guess that kind of transitions us into the next phase of how she trains. All these villagers. I want to get your opinions on how you think the villagers adapt. Do they adapt at a fast enough pace? Do they adapt too fast? What do you think about their ability to kind of transform into this Mongol fighting tribe yeah. from being farmers? Yeah, so uh, so the entire crux of the episode is interesting. We've done a lot of character talk, right? We haven't even talked about, like, the entire crux is Mando wants to get away. These people are looking, these these farming peaceful people are looking for protection from a band of like pig people raiders almost their technical name clan tuinian clatuinian have you ever heard of them i don't think i've uh heard of them before never heard of me they almost look like dogs very interesting uh model i don't think i've seen you know usually you see a tribe of people like trandoshans or rhodians that kind of resemble something you've seen in the universe before this is something new for me i think so too with me uh another thing i just got star trek vibes from um. So, but but there's these Klaatuanian Cl- Cl- raiders, and they're attacking these uh, krill farmers. I guess they are Sorgan krill farmers, but it's just the humble people being raided on. Mandalorian lands. They come. They ask him for help. He's not into it. But then they mention that they're in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, "Oh, okay. Obviously, yeah. Then I'm. Let's let's do it." He recruits Karano, and they uh, they go to defend the village from an ATST. As far as the training goes. How long, so I'll ask you first, how long did you think that took place over? Because they had a great training montage, and I am a fan. I love montages, unironically. I think they are fantastic. I think they, uh, you can get a, they're, they're very just like pragmatically effective. You can get a lot of storytelling done in a short amount of time. But your interpretation of that timeline, how long were they shooting pots and pans and working on melee moves? I would say to get them to the point to where they feel confident, it had to be a week or so. I think of like if you're so waking up and training, even at that point, you'd probably still feel a little bit shaky. And they but, had to build the barricades. Right. Chop down the trees and yeah. all that stuff. And you know, none of that came quickly. Uh I'd say week is my my rock bottom. Um, 
probably up to a month maybe. But I think that, you know, they were hospitable enough to where it could have been any amount of time. Um, I agree with you that the montage was executed very well. Well, it's just, you know, I mean, it's it's like it's easy to roll your eyes at montages. and But you, you're right. You can't get a lot done. Well, don't you, belabor the point because I don't really give a shit about being sold. Like, I don't need to see uh, farmer number two struggle in like learning to use a a pole arm. I don't need to see him use the wrong footwork and Gina Carano like have to have to uh, correct him and then he keeps screwing up and then like a day later he gets it. Like I don't need all that detail. It's like episodes five through eight. Yeah, it's just gonna no, be him just, like just give it to me in thirty seconds. Then they did it. I mean they had one shot everybody sucked. The next shot everybody's yeah. good. <laughs> Bam. Okay. Ready to you, fight. Let's go. You, you get it. Okay. Right. We get it. Now let's get to the actual fight. Right. I did kind of like the almost comedic relief of the two villagers that yeah. were kind of like kind of like peanut gallery type nerdy yeah yeah, yeah. and learning to fight uh so you know whatever just just they, they train up the village and they and they get them to at least a uh respectable point of defense and then and it's not these villagers are good warriors but obviously they're going to be more effective because the raiders when they come back think that they are stepping into and we see them first raid the village these villagers are painfully peaceful no fight at all immediately running away at the first sign of trouble which makes sense they have an atst um and and so when the raiders come back they're expecting no resistance so all of a sudden when they're getting shot and they're like that would be a pretty um not confusing that would just be a shocking turn of events if you were a raider mm-hmm. like and so it makes complete sense to me that they end up running away and, and that they will be very hesitant to attack in the future um how about that atst though what i thought was interesting is i've played so many star wars video games over the years and all these other things is that i've lost respect for i think the power of an atst mm-hmm. cuz like even in fallen order where that's a new video game. Uh, if you, if for those listening, maybe don't know, like that's a very hard game, and like the ATST is, it, it's kind of intimidating how it looks, but it, even there, it's still like easy to beat. I just so so hearing Cara Dune and Mando talk about it, like like because she's ready to bounce as soon as she hears, as soon as they hear that they have an ATST, they're like, all right. We got to get out of here. Y'all got to move your village because there's nothing on this planet that can do it. Like, we are not going to be able to defeat this thing. It was nice to feel uh, the soldiers' boots on the ground perspective of how actually effective these uh, th- these machines are. And I think Mando opens up that kind of diatribe vehicles. with, um, y- you can't live here anymore. Like that, that's straight like up the, the opening yeah. line of that scene, and I think like and they're like, "Whoa, what the fuck? Did we hired you, yeah, yeah." Like, like you can't we just like back this. out of this. Yeah. And then you know, you see him. I, I think the camera's like just dead set on Mando. He's like, "Yeah, like you can't live Sorry, here." Bro. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, I, I, I love that that delivery. I thought was excellent. I kind of want to point that and out. And then Kara's like, "I mean, come on, there's like plenty of land. Just move." They're like, "Whoa, dude, we had to seed these pods for generations. Come right. on, guys." Brought you in here to kick ass, not to give excuses. Right, and I, 
I actually thought back to the exact same thing that you did um, back on Zepho when you fight the uh, the ATST. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how it really doesn't go down with incredibly much fight. No, like all you yeah. got to do is reflect its uh, shots back at it, it. And, and it's a wrap. And hit the legs. Yeah, times. exactly. Like, yeah, that's it. Exactly. But you are right about it being a hard game. I think I spent an hour and 15 minutes on the Night Sister. Uh, what difficulty you played on, you uh, Jedi Knight. Is so, that the one? Is that one up from the base? It's one up from story mode, so it'd be like <sighs> normal. See, so sad. What a yeah, bitch. Uh, <sighs> I'm used to playing Kotor level. I'm fighting just kidding. Mechanics. I, I honestly, I should not. I'm being. Let me be painfully clear. I'm completely joking because I am. I do not want to be the gatekeeping game difficulty guy. <laughs> I do not care whatever difficulty you play on. I'm normally if I just want to experience a story, I have no problem. Bumping it down to story mode and playing that. I normally don't mess with difficulty. I don't know why I did in this game. Maybe it's because I believe that the combat... It's For me, it, it has been a bit different because I don't normally bump it up, but I did in this game, and I'm actually finding it pretty fulfilling. Maybe it's because this is a game where, like, ultimately with the combat, I know that when I die... It was because of my mistakes. Right. It wasn't because of the difficulty. It was just, you know, that these guys were unfair in any way. It's because my parries were shit. I started to just try and hack and slash because I got lazy or mm -hmm. I panicked. So, like, any time where I can be like, okay, well, if I just play better, then I will do better. I, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed that so far with this game. It's so satisfying to beat her, too, because I know the game rewards oh, you. Oh, the Night Sister? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, spoilers it, for it's early spoilers. You, you, that's like within the first few hours yeah. of uh, Fallen Order. But you, um, you really like get rewarded big time in that game for blocking. Yes, way more parrying than you get. too. Yeah. Like specifically, like you can hold your block, but specifically parrying and timing, and there's commitment to your swings. It's it's to me, it is my favorite uh, lightsaber battles I've ever experienced in video game for. Same. Yeah, I agree. Like, did you play Force Unleashed back in the day? Yes, I did. Yeah. So to me, Force Unleashed is like prequel lightsaber fighting. Mm -hmm. Kind of button mashy, very over-the-top, ballet-like almost. I never felt like I needed to learn how to fight in that game. No, just yeah. if you wanted to swag out. Just like if you right. wanted to make it look way cooler, you you could. And right. I really like Force Unleashed. But that felt like prequel uh, lightsaber fighting. I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that's just what it felt like to me. This feels like sequel lightsaber fighting. Mm -hmm. Like when you watch Kylo and Rey and the lightsaber fights of the new trilogy, there's a much more weight behind things. There it is. almost feels like... Two people with broadswords just mm -hmm. like going at each other with these like haymaker type of swings at times. As and opposed uh, to like a rapier or something where yes. it's just like back and forth, back and exactly. forth. Exactly. And that's or like yes. And th and that's what I think that's like how I would explain the lightsaber fighting force unleashed versus fallen order. And I and I'm really, really enjoying Fallen Order. That fight with the Night Sister was the first time where I ever felt like, wow, I like, that's how a lightsaber duel feels. It, it, no, you really get out of it, and you're like, I feel like I am a Jedi. Yeah. Like, like yeah. All, all those games, you know, the Connect games, where it's like, you're a Jedi. It's like, no, like, yeah. you're kind of just waving yeah. your arms around. <laughs> this one was like, I had to learn a combat technique. You know, I, I never really yeah. realized what you had to do to get that in depth. 
and we are talking about this is a Mandalorian podcast, but it, this is all nah, Star, Star Wars, Wars podcast. Dude, so yeah, and, and I think you'd be very remiss if we didn't bring up Fallen Order at some point because well, and you're the owner of a new Cal Kestis action figure. I am, I am. It was BD Eleven big time sale at the Best Buy on oh, Black Friday. Dude, so BD, you got that little BD looking so cute. I I'm jealous. It. I love BD. He's a great droid. Yeah. Um, how badass was it when the Night Sisters kind of taunting you? Dude, like it really, and she's like rolling her lightsaber on the ground, like burning a circle in front of yeah. you, just fucking with you, like you suck. I know, and like it really, it it, it affects you emotionally when you're on the twentieth death, and she's like, <laughs> and she's, like, she, oh, <laughs> she's yeah. just like, she's just like going to town on you, and you're like, I don't know what to do, and then and then you finally beat her, and then because yeah. I was at a uh, no stims left. I had about me too. Yeah, me I had too. like maybe like a half inch if we're gonna scale it to a foot of health <laughs> left. Um, no stim, you know, like, and then we get to that final button mash, and I'm like, like button mashing yes, X, mashing X, yes. and then we get the final cutscene, and I'm like, yes. Let's I, and go. and the thing is, uh, yeah, I I know there are only more more epic fights coming in that game. Absolutely. Um, so Fallen Order is really good. But to get back to the Mandalorian episode, um, what did you think about? So okay, so whatever they agreed, they agreed to help the villagers out, train everybody up, dig a pit in the river. They're gonna suck the ATST into. Uh, what do you think about the raid scene with Cara Dune and the Mandalorian on the raider camp? I think they set it up really well with the run through the forest. I think that's kind of great exposition to get you into the mindset of the villagers. Yeah, if you kind of cold cut into the scene where they're just sitting there waiting like they do on Hoth in episode 5, I think you lose the tension. Yeah. I think if you start off with a scene of them running quickly and being like, okay, like, like let's let's dodge this thing, let's get back to the village, and then they just slide under the barricade just in time. <laughs> like, that sets you up mentally to experience the weight of this fight. I really liked, um, I just loved, like I said, I was so charmed and kind of obsessed with Gina Carano. I just love their tag team fighting. Uh, just two elite soldiers being badass and showing how effective they can be. You feel the chemistry when whenever Mando's like, go, I'll cover you. He does yes. that you know, earlier in the episode as well when they're in the uh, the camp. Well, when they're in the camp, I mean, so first they, they think about the guys, they knock them out, easy peasy, but then when they're in the camp and like groups of guys are just coming in and getting their ass kicked, they start to do some real like tag team oh, yeah. WWE stuff. Oh yeah. And so there these are these are two two people whose entire life has been defined by fighting. And to me, it's and this is why I think Chrono's skill set is so perfect for this. To me, it felt like they're almost speaking a language that you can't understand unless you have spent your entire life fighting. Like they, 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 they speak the same martial language through their actions and through their techniques, and it sets up just for really badass Hollywood fist fighting. And it really, they develop such chemistry over a short period of time as fighters. You know, yeah. I, I think you really notice that when you get to the to the uh, the ultimate fighting scene at the end when you're going against the ATSD and you're having to. Mando's having to hide out in the lake, and then she's gonna have to run, and then throw the thermal detonator in the ATST. Like all these things don't happen unless these two people know yeah. what they're gonna do next. Yeah. You know, and I think they can sense that. Um, the 
the other things that stood out to me, uh, the ATST looked super badass. Oh yeah, it was, I think it's the best depiction of it we've got. With those there. red eyes, um, have we gotten a have we gotten a sequel ATST yet? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I'm sure we have something about though, something about the more intimate nature of the Mandalorian made the ATST feel a lot bigger than I think it normally does. Right? Normally, you're dealing in a world of adats and and giant star destroyers, and you know these these ships that and structures, whether it's like. The Death Star, we're, we're so used to in Star Wars of dealing with these ships that are really of almost unfathomable size, right? And and, and vehicles like a big AT-AT. And it can make the ATST look like a little, like a, like a, like a chicken walker, like almost like a little scout walker, like it kind of is. But when you're just a person on the ground with a gun, you see how terrifying and intimidating these things can really be. And they move great. They do. I mean, how how it it finally for the first time gave you a clear picture of because even the Battlefront video games, the new Battlefront video games, the ATSC doesn't move great. It feels very plodding and kind of slow. Right. This thing shows that I think they have a lot more uh, tactile ability than they maybe get credit for in a lot of other Star Wars media. Like it, it's navigating things pretty deftly running through that forest. We did get a first order ATST. It's got the. Uh the only real difference is the, the little yeah, the little helmet. Eyes He's got a little like, Kylo. He's got a yeah. little Kylo, a little uh, fashioned in the image of Kylo a little bit right. there. So I, I think your description of uh, intimate is perfect for this series. I think the fact that you point out the scale of the series makes the battle seem much bigger than it actually is. I think that's a very great point. Um, I think when you're looking at the ATSD coming up and you're like, oh my goodness, like. That's and a, the red eyes, obviously. Yeah, help. I mean that kind of makes it. But the, <laughs> the this is a vehicle that I have taken down innumerable amounts of times. Yeah, exactly. throughout my childhood and adolescence. Do they have anything like that adulthood. in Kotor? Uh, they're not in Kotor. Okay, yeah, because no, it's it's kind of way before that, yeah. that time period. But um, they've got uh really several weak points in the in the battlefront too, and and in, in uh in battlefront, and you see, like. When when they die in Battlefront Two, you get an idea of like how bumbling and stumbling they are. I think they like don't feel good. Out. They just no. don't feel good. You know, how and they he, move. It, it like goes right and then it goes left and then yeah. it like crosses its legs. It does the jig. It does all this <laughs> stuff and then it blah, falls right to the ground and it's like bleh, and like you don't get that vibe at all. And it's the exact same vehicle. Yeah. And I think that shows how great of a job they do in this series of making the tone and the environment feel much different than you're used to because it is Star Wars. It's Star Wars media. You recognize the droids, all these things. It's Star Wars undeniably, you know, to the letter, yes. but it feels different. And that actually hits on a higher... Well, I want to add this on the ATST real quick. I also loved its kind of... It's feel where it's not polished up clean. It's obviously these raiders like somehow got their hands on this and they've been repairing it on their own for years. And it's got like little bits of like scrap metal here and there and Mm -hmm. everything. But the sentiment you just hit on it being new, that is what I loved about this episode 
and it's what I've liked about the show. But it's but it also directly addresses one of my biggest problems with some of the reaction that I've seen to this show, which is a lot of people have come out and said it's like the the Mandalorian's the first thing that feels like uh, the original trilogy again, and. And and they're saying that like it's um like like I don't really like, agree with that at all. <laughs> like like it's a huge positive. And 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 not only do I not necessarily agree with that take, but what I don't like about the take is it it kind of operates under this inherent assumption that the goal is to feel like the original trilogy. Right. And that should not be the goal. I don't want that to be the goal. Definitely not. Like I want some lessons to be carried over. I want practical effects. Um, and, and, and things like that, but a storytelling, everything else, like I want to go in new directions. And that's why I enjoyed this episode too much because you cannot sit there and say that this felt like any other star Wars, at least not live action that you've experienced being a TV show. Yes. You can draw parallels to like clone wars episodes or, or rebels types of episodes. But, but even then it just, it felt very new to me, and and the Mandalorian I think continues to be its own thing, which I really, uh, which I really appreciate. And I was thinking about this too. I guess I do kind of agree with that take that it feels like the original trilogy again because it feels so breathtaking. And you so do new. agree? Well, not in the sense that it feels like the original trilogy, but it gives me the feeling the original trilogy did when I was a six-year-old. And, and you know what? Maybe that's what people are trying to express, and I'm just being too sensitive and taking it the wrong way, because that makes sense. Like, I do have, I have, like, a genuine giddy excitement every time I sit down to watch one of these episodes. I mean, it's undeniable, and I feel like a kid again. Like, yeah. watching all this stuff. I mean, I'm 20. I'm not I'm not a grown-up, grown-ass <laughs> man. But, like, the... 20. The, the feeling... Son that, of a bitch. <laughs> the feeling that you get... When you sit there and, you know, the Mandalorian title screen runs across the, the TV. And the music yeah, kicks in. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Like, I, I, I feel like, you know, in every other iteration of Star Wars media that we've seen, it hasn't felt this way. I, I just, I'm so blown away with how good of a job. I mean, I continue to revel in LSU's national championship season <laughs> in this game we got coming up today where we're going to, you know, ground A&M into the freaking turf. And we live in this era where the Mandalorian exists. LSU's probably going to win the Natty. Yeah. And we beat Bama. Like, we... Nostalgia. We li- we, yeah, we live in a... 2011. We, yeah, exactly. You know, def- definite 2011 vibes. But we live in this world where... This exists. It's not something we have to think about and say, I wish we had content like see, this. See, ultimately, I think I think you're right. I think I think what people are looking for is to feel that sense of awe and wonder again. And, and The Mandalorian absolutely does that. And that is the trick for anybody trying to make more Star Wars probably is, like, can you make something new but still evoke those feelings? Um, I actually have gotten those feelings with the sequel trilogy. Um, I was blown away by Force Awakens at the time. I felt like my hair was on fire when I left that movie. Like I was on, I was obsessed. Last Jedi was a bit more interesting. When I saw it the first time, I didn't I I I liked it. But when I saw it the second time, I do not know why. I've never had an experience this profound. I absolutely fell in love with that movie. And and I got a lot of those same feelings. So I, I guess I guess I've just reached the point in my life where 
I think I'm just a fanboy. But then again, I didn't get those feelings with the prequels. Now yeah, I have right. nostalgic feelings for the prequels because those are my childhood. Right. But at the time, they did not blow me away the same way that as an adult, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Mandalorian now have. I definitely want to make this point as well, just to be clear, like you were saying earlier. Uh, to be perfectly clear, I'm not saying that the Star Wars media that's been coming out in recent years has not been good or has not blown me away. But I feel that when I watch this specific series, yeah, no, and that's okay. I feel something different. Like, and look, you don't I, feel bad about yeah, yeah. that. Like, lean into that. I, I mean, I, I definitely like Rogue One was phenomenal. I thought. I know you feel a bit differently. Like, I, I, I felt that a lot of this, like, when I saw the scene that, like, you know, at the end of Rogue One, where uh, Vader's like coming up and like, you know, killing all these people <laughs> left and right, and yeah. the rebels are running, and, and Vader. <laughs> Is the one guy on the ceiling just walks by him and like offhandedly cuts him in half. I mean, I, so if I could, if I could describe to you the feelings I felt watching that scene unfold in front of me, in in this giant massive theater and this huge screen, and then you see the rebel run to the door. He's like, "Take it, take it, yeah. take it!" And, yeah. and, he, and dude, he he knows he's about to die yeah. in a few seconds. Like, and you know. And, and not only all this in a vacuum as an individual scene as itself, but as it ties into the context of Star Wars. You literally are watching the setup to episode four. At, before that point, we had gotten I, none of that. Yeah, I went straight home and put on a new hope after Rogue One. And I, I just, I, I felt extreme awe and wonder in that. That is, look, that is the strongest part about New Hope to me, is I think it actually makes the original trilogy and, uh, excuse me, I think the strongest part about Rogue One. Is it makes the trilogy as a whole and a new hope stronger, and so ultimately that's great. My only deal with Rogue One that maybe it, for me my enjoyment of Star Wars I guess has always been very character based, and Rogue One had the most uh, I guess kind of by design. Um, it had some, it had very forgettable characters, right? Because these were characters that you know had to be kind of offered up on the sacrificial platter, if you will. But there is no denying the. The incredible badassery that is Darth Vader in that final scene. I think one of the things that made me very happy about uh, uh, Fallen Order is that we do get a little more exposition into Saul Guerrero. Yeah, I, you I do. think I think that is that is something that is valued. I appreciate that, and it makes Rogue One seem like it's less solitary. Yes, I agree. Um, <clears throat> wow, excuse me, man, I'm. Just getting more and more hungover as we do this show. Um, uh, excuse me. All right. So I don't know how we got on uh, this Star Wars tangent, but you know, when you're talking the wars, it's just what happens. Um, and it's all great content. You know? To get to get to get to so to wrap, put a bow on things. To get back to the episode, they fight. The action solid. Great job by Bryce Dallas Howard directing um, the action in this entire show. It's been solid, obviously. They have this great, like you said, the tag team moment where they're trying to get the ATST in the water and Gina Carano's being badass, Mandalorian's being badass. What is the Mandalorian's gun, first off? we She she calls it something, and I forget what she calls it. But that thing is unbelievable. There's, we see him vaporizing people left and right. Doesn't he manages to blow out one of the window panes, basically blow out one of the eyes of the ATST with his vaporizing bullets. They later throw a grenade in, uh, but that that gun is unreal. Uh, but 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 they win. All is good. Mandalorian's going to leave, and then a bounty hunter shows up, coming to kill Baby Yoda. 
and uh, and and that's how we kind of get pushed forward as Mando leaves the village, leaves his pseudo love interest that he had been developing during the show, and unfortunately leaves Gina Carano and uh, and and they're on to their next adventure. Where do you think they go next? Well. I hope there's no Jawas on this planet because if we get back to his ship and there's another Suga incident, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. But that, like, I was a little, it's funny you mentioned that. I was a little like, is he just going to leave his ship there? Yeah, no, I thought the exact same thing. Like, bro, this has not worked well for you in the past. Like, <laughs> like I know Jawas are sneaky, so they were probably just really adept at getting by whatever defenses his, ships had, his ship had, but... Yeah, I mean, he he's he's trusting that no one in that town's going to go after him. But yeah, I think next after this, I think we see him go um to another destination to I think go back to the main focus, which is what is Baby Yoda here to do? Yeah. Why why are we, you know, why does this series exist? I think that's going to be the major point that we hit next episode cuz I don't think he goes to another backwater planet and saves another krill farmer society. Like I think we're gonna see him either face the doctor, face the client. Yeah, Werner, the client. Oh, yeah. Werner, Werner's gotta be back sometime. I do soon. not think he's done at all. But I think we see either an interaction with one of those characters take place, or I think we see. Uh, apologies, remind me again of the uh, Cara Dune. The no, the the guy who gave him the bounties in episode one. Oh, what do they call him? Um, I can't remember his name, but uh, his real life name, Carl Weathers. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Whenever, whenever we see Carl Weathers, um, I think we'll see him either either him come back or one of those first initial exposition characters are going to come back. Um, and I'm very excited to see where that takes There's, us. We don't necessarily have a big bad yet. Maybe no. the client is that. Um, I don't think he has the ties anymore, bro. I think like I feel like yeah, I feel like there's going to be a very combat skilled, almost like Mandalorian counterpart. He's not going to be Mandalorian, I don't think. But you know, like there, there's going to I think be some sort of super badass fighter that will be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Probably some sort of bounty hunter, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure I, I think that we'll have repeated run-ins with this guy over time. Maybe we won't. Or girl. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, anything else as we wrap up here, Nick? I just thought of this. Um, excuse me while I expound on it. But I think that uh, whenever the client was talking to the doctor, they were saying something about they wanted him alive or they wanted X, Y, Z. Yeah. Let's figure out who they is. Camino. That that'll be the cliffhanger that we're kind of on right now. Camino. He has the Camino insignia. I don't think that we 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 talked about the theory that maybe it's a clone of Baby Yoda or a clone of Yoda because he did visit Camino so much. I don't believe that, but really? I could you definitely don't? believe that Camino would want to clone this baby. Right? I mean, they could definitely be after this baby to try to create. Uh, unlimited versions of them. But yeah, we got to figure out who they This is. is one of those universe brain meme moments where your mind just expands to all of the ways that yeah. it could go and you think about Camino coming back into this and you're like, whoa, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Well, and, that, and that's where we get to, and that's kind of the interesting rhythm of The Mandalorian is at times it 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 threatens to completely reshape the fabric of the Star Wars universe right. and at other times it's just a fun adventure 
It's a fun Saturday morning, eat your cereal adventure, and I like it, and I would love it. I've been loving it, the, the rhythm so far. So maybe we'll get some more of those more galaxy-wide questions answered next week. Hope so. Take us out. So this has been the Four Mandalore podcast. I am so happy and so thrilled that you joined us here. Um, thank you for listening. We hope if you enjoy it, please leave a like, uh, leave a comment. Yeah, rate, review. review, all that stuff. We, we, we love that. We appreciate that. Um, send us a DM at 4MandalorePod on yep. Twitter or message us on Facebook. I would love to And I have not checked this, but I need to. But 4MandalorePodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email as well. We love interacting with you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if there's anything that you want to see in the next episode or you want to touch on, please let us know. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. This has been the 4Mandalore Podcast recapping Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian. For Mandalore.